Welcome to 2020, the era of innovation. The Automation Alliance podcast brought to you by Rapidmation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Automation Alliance podcast. We are very excited to have a gentleman by the name of Guy Kirkwood on with us today. Uh, For those of you who do not know Guy just as of yet, and he's a man who does not need an introduction, he is the chief evangelist of UiPath globally. So, Guy, welcome, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Sean, uh, for having me. That's great. Yeah, perfect. Well, Guy, I must say your job title, Chief Evangelist, it, it's definitely one of my uh, dream jobs to, to do what you do on a day-to-day basis. Um, I love all your content and I know there's many people out there that find immense value in your content. Uh, but I'd love to hear what is, what is the day-to-day in the life of the Chief Evangelist and what keeps you busy on a day-to-day basis? Well, the job itself came about because... Um, uh, when I joined UiPath uh, back in 2015, um, which isn't actually that long ago, um, my original role was uh, was chief operating officer. Um, but um, the chief exec and co-founder uh, Daniel Dinez and, sat, and I sat down um, over sushi uh, about six months later and decided that I couldn't operate anything. Uh, quite rightly, uh, and so he came up with the idea of me being chief evangelist. This role is actually based on what um, Steve Jobs uh, got Guy Kawasaki, another guy, uh, Guy Kawasaki to do. Uh, And the role of uh, Guy Kawasaki was to uh, evangelize um, Apple products um, everywhere. And the instruction from Steve Jobs was uh, go and sell Apple kit to everybody. Um, And and Kawasaki quite rightly said, uh, yeah, I can sell to the agnostics. I can't sell to the zealots. Um, I can't sell to people who are using Windows and DOS because they enjoy doing that and enjoy bashing Apple for that matter. Um, so the slightly different one for RPA, for robotic process automation, the market in which uh, UiPath sits, is that there was no category. So effectively, we had to create the category and then evangelize that throughout the market. The great thing about the job is that it's bi-directional. So uh, as well as doing things like these podcasts and, um, and presenting on stage and so on, um, I spend a lot more time listening. So uh, I'm listening to our customers, to our partners like you, uh, to our, um, uh, all of the, uh, the people that are involved in the market, the analysts, the industry analysts particularly, um, so that we can alter, we can change, we can pivot, we can adapt and stay, stay agile. Uh, and that is the power of, of the chief evangelist. Um, so it's the best job in the world. It's probably the worst job title because I have an inordinate number of people um, on LinkedIn saying that they're so pleased that Jesus has entered my life and I have to explain that I'm not that type of evangelist. <laughs> Very funny, right? Very funny. But it's, what a great story, right? And you're doing an amazing job with that. And I mean, all the, the latest Gartner, Forrester reports, all of them coming out and you guys are really defining this category at this stage. So it's really great to see all your hard work and efforts paying off. Well, the, the you know it's it we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Really, um, the market would not exist without Blue Prism, and I have a huge amount of respect for the for the organisation because um, they they were founded in two thousand and two um, and really sort of started talking about RPA in two thousand and six. So they spent a long time you know at the coalface um, before the market really started to pick up in really 2016, 2017. And, um, and so, you know, a huge amount of respect for those guys. And in fact, if you look at the market um, as a whole, the, the sort of big three, I'd say, I can see the, uh, the uh, inverted commas around the big here because we're still quite small compared with uh, a lot of enterprise software businesses. 
but the big three are sort of Blue Prism, Automation Anywhere, which is an American business, and, and us, UiPath. And it was described by Alex Gessel, who worked for WorkFusion, uh, another uh, provider in the market, as, uh, as being the new business as usual for, for organizations. And that's really appropriate because the B stands for Blue Prism, the A for Automation Anywhere, and the U for UiPath, which was by accident, but uh, worked quite well. <laughs> yeah, really good, right? That worked out perfectly. All right, excellent. And so, I mean, we've been following quite a lot of, I guess, the different analysts at the moment. And there's the Everest group that have obviously just recognized you guys as the process mining leader, which is really interesting, right? Uh, and as we know, process mining is on the lips of everyone at this stage. Uh, and there's a little quote that says at UiPath, we're putting automation at the core, providing the only platform for the hyper-automation era that combines process mining and RPA. So really interesting, but I'm keen to hear your thoughts on process mining and also how you see process mining fitting into hyper-automation. And actually on top of that, how you actually define hyper-automation. Yeah, okay, good question. Um, hyper-automation was actually, a, it was a Gartner uh, construct. Um, uh, interestingly, uh, Gartner is a, is a great example of, of the way that the market's developed. So. Um, up until about 18 months, two years ago, um, or it's probably two years ago now, um, Gartner was frankly utterly clueless about RPA, um, other than Kathy Tornbaum and Saigat Ray. Um, there really wasn't anyone in Gartner that, uh, that took RPA seriously. Uh, and that's basically because um, Gartner is very much focused on the CIO as their, as their customers. Uh, and, and IT saw saw uh, RPA at best as a distraction and, and at worst as a threat. So we can come to that in a minute. But um, Gartner then went from RPA as an irrelevance, effectively. Why, you know, why use RPA when you can do this sensibly using proper IT tools? Um, to it becoming the number one trend, uh, mega trend for 2020. So uh, that was announced at their uh, Gartner Symposium in in Orlando in October, and I was sitting in the, the audience with my jaw firmly on the floor uh, as that was announced, uh, and, and such a dramatic change around. Um, Hyper-automation is using RPA as the core, but surrounded by other technologies that allow organizations to automate more of their processes or more of their activities. So RPA is really good at dealing with the structure-based activities, the rules-based activities. Um, it's not particularly good at dealing with the unstructured and, uh, and more decision-making processes, um, which is where hyper-automation comes in because it includes things like what we describe as understanding. So visual understanding, um, understanding everything on the screen in the same way that humans do, um, document understanding, uh, being able to deal with documents of whatever format to be able to recognize what they are and then deal with those process understanding, which I'll come to in a second, and conversational understanding, so dealing with chatbots, and ultimately voice. Um, so coming back to process understanding, we made uh, a couple of acquisitions in October last year uh, in anticipation of what became known, was become known as hyper-automation, because we recognize that in most organizations, the difficult bit isn't selling or delivering RPA, it's figuring out what processes you want to start with and then scaling that out throughout the organization. Because scaling is an issue, it's still an issue for organizations. They tend to use RPA to fix a problem uh, and then it doesn't spread very far throughout the organization. So, so the purpose of process mining is twofold. So first of all, it's to identify those processes that are most applicable for automation. Um, and so we use the two products that we bought, the two organizations, um, in different ways. So um, StepShot, uh, 
um, which are, both are now getting fully integrated into our platform. But Stepshot looked at what humans actually did because you take any process in any organization, even people in the same team do things in different ways. Like humans cheat. That's what they do. They find easy workarounds. So we want to know what the humans are actually doing at a keystroke level. And then process gold, which is a process mining technology, sits at the other end looking at what's actually happened uh, on the systems, the system locks for all the different types of technology that, uh, that interact together. And so by combining those, you can work out um, A, what's happening, B, what the optimum path, which is what some people call the happy path, which I hate, um, but the optimum path through that process route. And then by combining that information, we produce something called a, a process description document, a PDD, or indeed a XAML script, an XAML script for the technically uh, minded amongst your listeners. Um, and that creates the framework by which the RPA developer can develop the automation much, much faster. Um, and what that's doing is it's scaling up business very quickly. Now, the second part of process understanding is processes always change over time. There's a guy um, called Ian Barkin, a great friend of mine who, uh, who works for Sykes, uh, which is a core center operation, but he was one of the founders of uh, Symphony Ventures, which is a, a service uh, provider that was um, born to do RPA implementations. Uh, and he describes this as process sediment. So in the same way that sediment, sedimentary rock builds up over millions of years, process sediment builds up in organizations as layer upon layer of new processes and new technologies never get replaced effectively, but the, um, uh, or lean six sigma effectively, but uh, they just build up over time. So, and in that circumstance, processes change. So not only have we got to build the robots most effectively as possible to start the automation, when things change, we are able to be able to fix them very quickly. Now, ultimately, the direction of travel is that we're, you know, in the next, we're not there yet, but in the next 18 months, two years, UiPath should be able to um, automatically build robots and automatically fix them. So self-building and self-healing robots. As I say, we're not there yet, but that's the direction of travel. Brilliant, right? The process, process, uh, process mining actually can be first and foremost. So the largest deal in the RPA market, which we uh, recently signed, um, I can't tell you what it is yet, uh, but uh, it's enormous uh, in terms of license fees, you know, tens of millions, um, was based not on the relationship that the customer had with us as an RPA vendor, but the relationship that we, that we have with them as a, a process mining organization. Now, that's very interesting because that dynamic could means that organizations around the world could see RPA as the first trigger, but it could also see any of those other four understandings as the initial step and then bring in RPA as the delivery engine. Love it, right? And, and I'm just super excited about some of the acquisitions you guys have made and how you're actually weaving together, I guess, both the task capture and I guess the backend log capture to then automatically bring that together and suggest processes and then automatically kind of build them, right? That's an amazingly exciting piece. Uh, and it's interesting to hear how that's all coming together, right? Uh, slowly. <laughs> slowly, yeah. it's, it's difficult stuff to do. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes, true. 
Yeah. Okay, that's great, right? And uh, I mean, there's something that's hit the market quite recently, right? And it's obviously Microsoft have entered into the RPA space. And I was yeah. reading an article on Forbes uh, just the other day. And, and I quote from the article, they say, true automation has elements like chatbots and forms that collect information. And these will all start to mix together with digital process automation and robotic process automation. And customers want to solve an automation problem with one integrated solution. Um, it's quite interesting because that's obviously when we set up Rapidmation, we came from the digital process automation world uh, and yeah. we, lots of our customers came to us and said, it's really great. We've automated some of the human workflow side of this, but in certain scenarios, we've tied up some of our human users with, I guess, some of these repetitive mundane tasks and certainly in areas where there's, I guess, uh, no API access or green screens or some old systems, RPA is a beautiful tool to combine with digital process automation and then infuse that with AI and, and put some chatbots on that to create a true end-to-end -end intelligent automation solution. Um, Spot so, on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I'm keen to hear your thoughts. I mean, how do you see UiPath fitting into that currently? I know you guys are doing some exciting work on the chatbot side. How do you see the human and the loop stuff coming together? Uh, talk to us a bit about that. Okay, so so it, if hyper automation um, is the future, now different analyst firms call it different things. So we've got a, a big study coming out um, shortly from Everest Group, um, which we, we term as the playbook too. So it, what they term as hyper automation is the 360 degree enterprise, um, which is essentially the same thing. So it's combining all of those two, those different tools. The, the critical thing in order to do that is that uh, based on the research that Everest has done, is that the most effective way of building these type of capabilities is to create a center of excellence, which we've known for a long time, but it's a hub and spoke center of excellence because that allows you to, to scale out much more effectively. Now, the advantage of a hub and spoke um, type operation is that the capabilities, the RPA capabilities, sit then within the business units. That allows the subject matter experts sitting within those business units working closely with the users to allow that human in the loop activity um, much more effectively and then if you add in um, the capabilities of organizations like Enate that's E-N-A-T-E um, they, they work on the orchestration of the machine to robot interaction that's important because it's very rare that you can actually automate an entire process end-to-end -end. Um, you still need humans to do activities that humans are really good at but what RPA does is remove that boring mundane repetitive work and allows the humans to focus much more on the high value customer or if you're in the public sector, citizen centric services. And that's particularly important with the, uh, uh, at the moment um, with the uh, COVID-19 um, breakout because the, uh, we're going to be, have to do much more with, with many fewer people, I think. Yeah, exactly that, right? So, and talking about obviously COVID and, and obviously everything that's going on around the world, I see you guys recently released a UiPath health, health screening robot for coronavirus, right? So, so tell the listeners a bit about that and, and what that's all about. Well, it, you know, I was a bit wary actually of, uh, of, of posting that out because it, it appeared as though we were just sort of jumping on the bandwagon. Um, but in fact, that, that came about because of work that we'd already done for um, uh, lung screening for uh, some of our medical customers. So using combining um, computer vision and uh, identification of um, things like uh, bronchitis, uh, lung cancer and so on, because the AI is much better at uh, identifying these things, well, in combination with the 
clinicians uh, much better at, uh, at identifying these things. So it's quite a small step for us to identify uh, and help organizations, A, identify those who got uh, COVID-19, uh, but also then help organizations um, with the with the the administration of that, you know what happens to that on the back of it, and if we if the numbers that we've seen so far and the acceleration in the in the cases uh, is expanded, and for those that are in the know, I I think that it's going to be it is going to be a pandemic, and I think that majority of people are going to get uh, COVID nineteen then the ability of the public services, the, the NHSs of the world, the health services uh, around the world, to deal with this uh, is going to be critically important. So the faster you can get to diagnosis, uh, the faster you can treat. And, and that's got to be a benefit to everybody. Yeah. I only think it's amazing what you guys did and put that out and made that available to everyone. And I hope there's been massive uptake in that and people are using that, right? So what a great thing. Yeah, the, the interest has been incredible. Yeah, excellent. Okay, just going back to the human thing, it reminded me of an article that you wrote, I think, on LinkedIn about how automation will actually help us solve the retirement crisis, right? Yeah. Um, and we followed Japan pretty closely, and, and I'll just read some stats over here, but 22% of Japanese employees currently work 50 hours or more in a week. Stress, and it seems inescapability, has made work strenuous at best and deadly at worst. And the Japanese actually have a, a term called karashi, which is death by overwork, right? Which is a yeah. pretty scary, I guess, term that they've actually named that. Um, so I'm keen to see, like, obviously uh, around that, obviously what we can do is we can help out that aging population, one, with these software bots to obviously do things quicker, better, faster, to supplement them. Um, but I'm keen to, uh, you had one very thing that interested me a lot in that article, and you mentioned something called the silver tsunami meets the automation wave. So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. How did you come up with that? Tell us a bit about the problem there and how you guys are helping out. Okay, so um, it was a bit of a pun, actually. Um, so the silver tsunami, obviously, is that you know, the world's population is aging. Um, there are not enough, certainly in, in um, highly advanced technology, uh, highly advanced uh, societies, uh, the first world, if you like, if it's still like called that. Um, the uh, the po populations are falling. So Japan is a really good example. Um, as you mentioned, the the Japanese population peaked in 2010. So the entire Japanese population. Um, it is falling. Um, so, and, and the wave bit was because it was based on a report that uh, Forrester did and um, uh, the analysts all call their sort of studies uh, on a particular topic um, different things. So the Gartner has the magic quadrant, Everest has the, their uh, peak matrix um, and uh, Forrester has their wave. Um, so it was a bit of a pun on wave because we were using some of the data from uh, from Forrester. We've done a lot of work with in this area. Um, but essentially, what we're looking at in terms of the the ability of organisations to adapt as a result of uh, changing demographics um, deals not only with people who are ageing, uh, but also those that are still in school. So what we're trying to do is make sure that no one's left behind. If we, if we fundamentally believe, which we do, that automation and artificial intelligence AI is going to have a fundamental impact on what we consider work to be, then it's our responsibility, the vendor's responsibility, to make sure that no one's left behind. Because otherwise there will be a backlash and we will get regulated without any question. So we're starting to think about that right now. So a good example of that is the work that we're doing with the United Nations and the World Economic Forum 
on upskilling and reskilling workers um, of all ages and uh, the stuff that we're doing with universities. So our academic alliance, so we're embedding RPA training within uh, universities. That started in April last year, uh, and we expected a fairly slow uptake. But actually, to date, there's been over 600 universities around the, year, uh, around the world that have already put RPA into their curriculum, so, or curricula. Um, so the, the opportunity provided by automation has to be balanced by the responsibility that ethical responsibility to make sure that no one's left behind so that upskilling and reskilling stuff that the world economic forum is working on based on an announcement they made at davos um, is really important because we've got to make sure that the people that are aging in the population are being able to be dealt with um as kindly as possible based on the fact that they've been doing the same job for maybe 20, 30 years. Now, interestingly, one of the great use cases was a lady at work for Singtel in, uh, in uh, the, the telco in, uh, in Singapore. Um, she was 65 and she um, actually uh, would have been working on the same job, same task, building reports for the last 30 years. Um, she actually built a robot to automate a lot of that and she could not have been happier because it allowed her to do stuff that she just wasn't able to do before. And that's probably um, a really good example. And if you look at the final thing I say is that if you look at the, um, what's happening in Japan today, that demographic time bomb is going to go off in every single industrial and post-industrial nation in the next 20 years. So what we're going to see, I think, is that the gig economy, um, which is currently 30% of, of work, uh, as opposed to 70%, which is full-time employment, um, that ratio is going to switch. I think in the next 20 years, 70% of people will work on gig economy uh, and 30% on, on full-time employment. That requires a lot of thinking about how we make that humane and how we make that as easy as possible for to use as possible and beneficial. Yeah, amazing, right? And I think I remember reading that World Economic Forum report, and I think they stated something like we need to reskill more than a billion people by 2030. Uh, and it's just awesome to see some of your guys' strategy and helping kind of some of the older workers, the new entrants into the market, some of the tools, technologies, the free learnings, and all those types of things that you provide to help along that journey, right? Um, yeah, I mean, make- the democratization of, uh, of RPA is really important. I mean, we, we, you know, we started with, with UiPath Academy, um, which is our free training and free, free um, certification, uh, very early on, because that's, it was based on the, what the, uh, generally the, the first American universities um, built their massive open online courses. So we built it around that sort of model. And, that, you know, and it doesn't matter which technology you decide to use, Training is now free from automation anywhere, from Blue Prism and from everybody. So I think, you know, just the small part that we've played in that is really important. Yeah, exactly that, right? And I guess sometimes it appears threatening to some people, but it's such a huge opportunity for some forward-thinking organizations, right? Because Accenture, they released a piece of research that showed there was $11.5 trillion of economic growth that could be possible if people could actually take advantage of intelligent technologies. And obviously, a key part of them adopting those is obviously the reskilling that we need to do with workers, both young and old. Yeah, I mean, you know, people talk about the fourth industrial revolution um, and, and jobs and every industrial revolution change. Some disappear, but most change. So prior to the first industrial revolution in about 1760, 
um, certainly in the US, 98% of the population work the land. Um, that, uh, that metric is now 2%. 2% of Americans now work the land. Does that mean that 96% of the, of the US population is unemployed? No, of course not, because there are new jobs um, that get created all the time. That's why working with schools and in the education is so important because a lot of the jobs that children at school currently are going to be doing don't even exist at the moment. So that adaption uh, is, uh, and, and agility and changes in working practices is something that we need to be start thinking about right now. Exactly that, right? Yeah, and it's interesting if, if we move on to the kind of how you actually scale and adopt it then, right? So, so Deloitte research uh, showed that 53% of the organizations that they surveyed had already actually adopted RPA and another 19% actually planned to do so in the next two years. Um, so one of the quotes from that piece of research says, if adoption continues at its current level, RPA will have achieved near universal adoption within the next five years, which is a pretty crazy thought, right? Um, and it, what, what we're seeing at the moment is obviously uptake is very wide, but not as deep uh, as, as it could be at this stage. And I think that there's a stat that says something like 3% of organizations have scaled uh, to having more than 50 robots. But then on the other side of that, 85% said RPA outperformed expectations on accuracy, timelines, flexibility, and improved compliance. So there's two, I guess, kind of uh, polar opposite thoughts there. Keen to hear what you see in terms of scale, adoption, how we can get this further embedded into organizations. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, it is, th those figures are amazing. If, if you take any new technology uh, and uh, just to belie the fact that this is new technology, you know, automation has been around for decades, but RPA as it, as it stands is, is relatively new from sort of really from about 2016, 2017. Um, you take any new technology to, to go from a handful of organizations doing it to every organization using it to some extent uh, within nine years. That's just an incredible growth. Um, and in fact, you know, we've been very, very lucky uh, to be at the right place at the right time. And uh, Deloitte had, uh, you mentioned Deloitte, they have their Fast 500, um, which is a sort of competition effectively um, of the fastest growing or list of the fastest growing um, tech companies in the, uh, in the North America. Um, previous winners have been sort of organizations like Google and Amazon and Tesla. Um, uh, this year, well, 2019, um, UiPath was announced as, as the number one um, for them, for a company that no one's ever heard of, basically. Uh, that growth rate is driven not by anything clever or smart that we're doing, but really the, the fact that the market's turning from a, from a push market where us and Blue Prism and Automation Anywhere and the rest are going out to customers and saying, we've got this really cool RPA stuff, do you want to buy it? To, to actually it becoming a pull market. So as soon as organizations try this stuff, then they just want more. Uh, and the metrics around that is that 97% of, of customers buy the license after the first year because we all operate under a, 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 an annual subscription license at the moment. That will change. Um, but um, uh, that's pretty impressive for a SaaS model, uh, software as a service model. But actually, the really impressive number is that 70% of customers buy more licenses before the first lot run out. What's changed and is changing is that depth. So if we look two years ago, almost every organization started with a proof of concept, a POC. 
Um, and they tried it out over months and gradually started growing from one to 10 to 50 bots, which was, which is where you were talking about. What organizations are now doing is they're starting big. Uh, and in fact, in a couple of cases, they're starting so big that um, they are actually giving every one of their employees a robot to automate the bits of their job that they hate and to help them do the bits of the job that they want to do. Now, that is a dramatic change. So when Deloitte talk about uh, uh, ubiquitous adoption uh, within five years, I think the scale and depth of that is rapidly increasing. uh, And we'll start to see that um, increase over the next uh, few months. In fact, in the last quarter of last year, we had 16 deals that were in excess of a million dollars in license revenues. Um, which was five times what we'd seen year on year. So that growth. And in fact, uh, there is a a new report um, just coming out from Everest, actually sponsored by WorkFusion, um, on on what they term as pinnacle organizations and how they're scaling uh, using hyper-automation or 360-degree. Uh, and the, the metrics are, uh, and the growth rates are staggering. I mean, really amazing. So uh, we're going to try and get hold of that. Uh, but that's a topic for another day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. And, and we've started to see that shift as well, right? So certainly most of the customers we start to work with now, they have started to go on the larger end. They've gone all in on automation. Uh, they've, I mean, you guys have released some great tools that make it a lot easier to capture ideas, mine these ideas, that type of thing. And we're also seeing a shift from unattended bots to more attended bots and that concept of a digital twin or, or someone that can help you out with these boring, mundane, repetitive tasks that any of us have in our day-to-day jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in fact, if you look at the, look at the numbers, the, the, the numbers of, uh, or the ratio between unattended and attended um, is shifted. So um, up to about two years ago, um, or even 18 months ago, there were more att- unattended um, automations, more att- unattended robots in the market than there were attended. Um, and, uh, but now that's switched. <clears throat> so the attended robots are something that uh, all of the organizations are, are um, allowing individuals to, uh, to help them to automate bits of their job that they want to do. So you've got the, the sort of unattended stuff to do the stuff that you never want to see again, but it's the attended robots that are really increasing in number. That isn't having an impact or as much of an impact on revenues because attended robots are so much cheaper than, than unattended. And you brought up Microsoft before. I think Microsoft is, a, is coming into the market is a, is a massive validation uh, of the, the, the power of the market. Interestingly, uh, Power Automate uh, and UI flows, which they priced the day before yesterday, um, is, uh, is very much in that attended space. So um, we're expecting great things from, uh, from Microsoft and they will make us, the rest of the market, sort of perk up and, and, and stay ahead. Uh, which we, you know, have fully intention of doing. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting, right? And, and on that attended front, I mean, often people ask me about kind of different types of attended bots that I use in my day-to-day job. And, and I've got a few. So I often share stories about LinkedIn bots that I use uh, and different things to take care of, I guess, contracts or uh, NDAs, all those types of things that I need to do on a day-to-day basis. But I'm keen to yeah. hear, do, do you have a, a favorite attended bot that you use and do you name it or uh, tell us a bit more about that? Well, actually, the, you know, uh, there's a guy called Brandon Knott in our organization who runs our attended business. Um, he, we have a habit of, um, of 
hiring um, really good customers. Uh, Brandon worked with uh, Wentworth, who's a mortgage company, um, uh, and we hired him in to uh, run our attendant business. Um, he and the team have uh, created uh, a, a personal um, assistant, a personal robot that can do just the sort of things and more that you've just outlined. Um, now, the code name for that has not been released yet, um, but the code name for that is PAL9000. For, for listeners who um, have, uh, have, are as old as me, um, who or know something about science fiction will uh, know remember a, a film called 2001: A Space Odyssey, and there was a the AI in the uh, ship was called Hal Hal 9000 H A L, and um, it, and uh, Hal went mad and killed all the crew, uh, and uh, so uh, we made well, in fact, Brandon made Pal 9000. So Pal is your friend; it won't kill you. Um, <laughs> so uh, it won't be called that when it comes out, but uh, in in uh, general release. But that system is exactly what you've just described. It, it allows um, your personal lives to, be, uh, to help be automated <clears throat> as well as to do with work. Um, now, that raises an interesting ethical question. Is as, you know, if we move to a much more gig economy, as, as I'm expecting, does that mean that uh, you know, who, who owns the robot? So when you take your robot to your new job, um, do you own the robot? Does the company own the robot? Does the robot then learn the job that you are, should be doing and inter- interfacing with all of the, um, all of the systems that, that your new company has? You know, these are all things that we're, we're thinking about right now because if, if, if the future of everyone having their own robot, which is what we think is going to happen, um, then we need to think about who owns it, uh, who owns the IP. And so on and so forth. So there's some very interesting ethical discussions going on at the moment. Yeah, no doubt, right? And again, I mean, it's well known that Daniel Dinez, the CEO of UiPath, his vision is a robot for every person. So it's certainly yeah. going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the, over the coming weeks, months, and years ahead of us, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, if you look, if you look back to the late seventies, um, there was a chap that some people might know called Bill Gates, um, who who said that he visited a time when when every um, household and every desk would have a computer and he got laughed at um so I, we think that everyone's going to have their own robot um and so we're, that's what we're driving towards now some analyst firms uh, and commentators um think that that is a distraction from the day-to-day building of an enterprise software business uh, but it isn't you know you've got to have a vision you've got to have a, a, a direction of travel and this is our direction of travel yeah, love it. And I couldn't agree more with it, right? I mean, I'm a big fan of using these bots to help me out on a daily basis from personal to work-related tasks. Things like UiPath Studio X, which is kind of the citizen developer type tool, will make that more consumable and easy to use for different types of users. So yeah, I mean, I'm fully into that vision as well. Good. <laughs> yeah. All right. So then just moving across, I followed one of your articles you posted, which was the seven RPA predictions for 2020. Uh, and yeah. now that we're nine weeks into the year, uh, I see that one of those have certainly already started to come true with the world economic growth and the downturn. Um, and an interesting article in CNBC was that the global economy is heading for its worst year since the financial crisis. Um, and global GDP growth is likely just to be 2.8% in 2020, um, according to some research. I think that's even more affected with, obviously, the coronavirus and all things that are going to come along with that. Uh, but, yeah, keen to hear on some of the other predictions you made there. Have you seen any of those start to, to come true already this early into the year? 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, there will be a global economic downturn was, was my first prediction. Um, that's actually good for RPA, um, ignoring COVID-19 for the moment, um, because or as organizations face um, the realities working in a downturn, that they'll have to adapt their business models. We saw that with, with 2008 financial crash uh, and so on and so forth. So, so and, and, and every organization, in any case, is going through digital transformation. They have to because otherwise they get disrupted out of the market. So RPA, I think, will see an uptick as a result of um, an economic downturn. COVID-19 is the rather unpleasant cherry on top of the cake here. Um, which has really sparked off something that I think was going to happen anyway. Um, but COVID-19 isn't an economic downturn. It is a classical V-shaped uh, reduction in markets. Uh, and as, uh, as it is V-shaped rather than U-shaped, it's, it's going to come out of that very quickly. So you could almost see COVID-19, ironically enough, as a positive um, correction to the markets. Um, rather than the, uh, the, the extended downturn that we're expecting. Plus, with the election that, uh, that's coming up in, uh, in America, in the US, then um, we're going to see uh, some interesting metrics around that, uh, depending on who, uh, who actually um, wins, although I think we all suspect we know who's going to win. Um, mm -hmm. so, the, so my first prediction is um, accurate, but not because I was clever enough to realize that there was going to be a pandemic. Um, second one, um, or sorry, what was the, what was the next one you, you were mentioning? Oh, I was just asking if you had seen any of the others start to play out already this early on in the year. Okay. So um, yeah, by all means, go and have a look at the, um, go and have a look at the predictions. Um, so the, what hyper automation is driving is my prediction three, which is that automations will turn from snowflake to snowball. Um, what we're looking at now is the standardization of ro robots um, across use cases and departments uh, and even across and between companies and industries. We're starting to see that. And think about, about automations by RPA is that when organizations start, when people start to automate bits, they think everything they do is unique. But of course it isn't. So you want to combine those unique snowflakes, if you like, um, into snowballs, because all snowballs are the same. So, uh, so, and that was a great analogy that a friend of mine and, uh, and colleague, Chet Chambers, came up with, which I really loved. So I stole it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so we are starting to see that, but you'll see more and more of that. Um, and, but I think it's still too early to with the exception of the UN and, uh, and the automation will be discussed in the UN in the context of jobs, wages and global economies. It, it, that has already come true. That's, uh, that's happened as well. So we'll wait out, you know, we're still very early in the, uh, in the year and we're starting to see consolidation also happening in the, uh, amongst RPA vendors and the services companies. Uh, I think that will accelerate and we're already starting to see the first, first parts of that as well. Mm. So not too early. Yeah, that's a drive. I mean, going back to the point of people getting started, I mean, we often say to our customers, it's not about if you're going to do this anymore. It's really about when you're going to get started. And uh, we're running a whole hyper automation event series that people are finding really valuable just to learn about some of the tools, technologies, products that you can weave together to obviously get you going on this intelligent automation journey. Yeah, exactly.
precisely and 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 in fact it's you know it's it's organizations like rapid motion that that is really at the forefront of this whole move in the market uh, because the organizations like yours were born to do this and therefore you don't have a lot of the legacy um, operations that uh, many of the larger system integration and consulting organizations have that allows you to provide a much more joined up and innovative service to your customers than um, than say some of the some of the larger larger organizations so you know there is a there's a reason that uh, that rapid motion was awarded uh, ui path rising star of the year uh, partner um, uh, and you're doing a fantastic job no oh, that's very kind thank you very much and yeah, I guess I, we always talk about focusing on the outcome for the customer and we've got some amazing customer stories of how this technology is really helping them out, uh, which is the best part about it, right? Because we're helping people out, getting their jobs done more efficiently, making companies more successful, helping people out to do good in, the, in different sectors. So it's just a really great place to be at the moment. It's fun. It's fun. Yes, that's it. It's definitely fun, right? Okay, I think that's been really good, Guy. But one, one last thing just before we, we leave for today. Um, I saw yeah. you attended the IDC event recently. And for those listeners that might not know what the IDC event is, it's the premier global provider of market intelligence, advisory services, uh, and events for everything from IT to telecoms to consumer technology. Um, and I noticed that I think it was a tweet that I saw of yours where you mentioned IDC's recent surge in automation and AI means that I'm expecting a great mix of insight and unconventional thinking. So keen to hear from you what you learned at the event. Uh, was there any great new technologies you see coming down the line? Uh, what, what happened at the event and, and what stood out for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, in fact, I'm going to Boston on Sunday, assuming that flights aren't grounded, um, for uh, the second uh, and broader IDC event, which they call Directions. Uh, that's in Boston um, next uh, Tuesday for anyone that uh, that is going to be around and, and wants to come and uh, chat. Um, but IDC have made a huge amount of in, uh, investment in uh, artificial intelligence and uh, and RPA in terms of the thought leadership. Um, for their uh, their analysts, so they recruited people like Neil Ward Dutton, uh, John O'Brien in the, uh, in in Europe, and then we've got uh, 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 Maureen Fleming in in the US. They're corralling uh, a superb stable, basically, of analysts that are focusing on this uh, on this area. What IDC have is the breadth of data because IDC is by far the largest analyst firm. Um, most people from the from tech. Uh, companies consider Gartner uh, to be the biggest, uh, and it is in in the world in which we live. But IDC is much broader. So the unconventional thinking I mentioned was thoughts that those those individuals, those individual analysts, are having on the broader topics that we've discussed today. So the, the socioeconomic and demographic uh, realities of living and working in in, in the, the 20s and 30s. 2020s and 2030s and um, that's why it's particularly interesting so probably better to report back um, after the directions event um, but uh, the, the event that took place the other the other day was really interesting because there are a lot of um, AI startups that are that are relying on RPA vendors to partner with them because it accelerates their um, their own uh, growth rates uh, and that's one of the interesting things is that I'm doing a lot of work with the venture capital and private equity organizations at the moment 
because the VCs have realized that uh, their portfolio companies can scale so much faster using automation than they can by hiring a whole load of people. So um, that's something that, uh, that they're particularly keen on. Uh, and of course, you know, given our, our success and uh, our valuation, they're, they're also interested in, in how we've done that. Yeah, really interesting. And funny enough, so I've just connected with someone here locally in Australia that that's a VC and uh, and they've come to us with exactly the same kind of ask, right? They've said, we can see you guys can help these companies out, automate processes, combine RPA and AI and machine learning and the like um, to accelerate uh, these companies between different categories. So from startup to midsize and then get them onto the next kind of level of that company's journey to obviously accelerate exactly that, right? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. All right, God, thank you very much. I mean, I think that's been absolutely awesome. We really appreciate your time. You know, you're really busy. Um, but just before we leave, any last parting words, thoughts, comments for the listeners? Well, I think we've covered most of the things. We've rattled through quite a lot of the, a lot of the topics and, you, and you, your questions have been excellent, Sean. So thank you very much indeed. Um, it's, it's a pleasure to work with organizations that are, are, are operating in this way. So, you know, when I started in 2015, early 2016, you know, it was an uphill battle to explain what RPA was. But organizations like Rapimation are doing a fantastic job of evangelizing yourselves uh, within the markets in which you operate. Uh, and long may it continue. But thank you very much indeed. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you very much. All right. I think that's the perfect note to end it on. So, Guy, thank you very much once again for your time. Uh, best of luck, safe travels, and hopefully you get out there and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Fantastic. Thanks, Sean. From bright ideas to drinking automation champagne, be part of the community and join the Automation Alliance at www.automationalliance.com.